The title of today's message is taken actually from the words of Jesus himself in verses 31 and 32. The title this morning of the message is, The Truth Will Set You Free. The truth will set you free. And Jesus uh, says in the portion that we'll be looking at, Jesus says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, uh, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You might say that what Jesus is uh, telling us and telling his followers is that Jesus has come to provide a way out, setting freedom. When somebody needs freedom, the implication is that they're in some type of prison or bondage. Uh, we may, you know, people have all sorts of prisons that they deal with on a personal basis. It may be a, a need to get out of a particular habit, to get out of a particular destructive cycle in their life, uh, a struggle, maybe an attitude. Jesus says, I've come and to set you free, you'll know the truth. Freedom from guilt, that's something everybody at some point needs in their life. A freedom to, uh, to, of, of maybe those who have not forgiven you. Maybe those that you have sinful habits, depression. Maybe you lack a certain spiritual confidence. There's an anxiety in your life. We all have something, that's the point. We all have something in our life that we need the freedom of Christ to release us from. No, everybody at some point has that. And of course, the ultimate freedom that we need is the freedom that we have to be relieved from the sin that so easily binds us. But, you know, oftentimes you hear that, and people will take that out of, confidence, out of context. I've heard people use that in just about every situation, uh, and it doesn't, they're not saying it in the way in the context. In other words, it's not just any truth that will set you free. Hello? It's not just any truth. It's not just little any antidote, but it's the truth of Jesus. It's the truth of himself that provides that freedom. And so Jesus says very simply, and I want you to uh, look with me. I want you to just notice this is this is a bonus. You ever get something and you get a bonus? This is a, a bonus. I won't charge you for this bonus this morning, all right? But I want you just to notice something kind of as a, a setup before we look at the other verses. In verse 31 and 32, you'll notice three things there. And if you have your Bibles, uh, this would be good to mark these. Mark these and, and make note of these. Notice the simple way that this freedom takes place and first of all, in verse 31, he says, If you abide in my word. Abide. The first thing is to abide. What does to, to abide in something? Abide means to live in something. One, one uh, understanding is to hold something tightly. Uh, to draw something into your life that you're holding on to. We were climbing a mountain and you were going on up ahead of me and you were clicking all the ropes and everything. 
well, guess what? I am going to abide in holding that rope for dear life, all right? I'm not going to just look down at the, at the bottom and think, oh, I don't need this. No, I'm going to cling. I'm going to abide and hold on to that thing. Abide means that Jesus has gone ahead of us. He's shown us the way and that we hold on to his truth. He said, this road to freedom begins if you abide. And notice what it says, if you abide in my word. How do we know his word? We have, we have scripture that tells us the words of Christ, the words of God. If you abide in my word, if you abide in my truth. And then he says, secondly, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. The reason some struggle in their Christian life is because they do not take any time to cling to and hold on and abide in the Word of God. They're always grabbing a little here, a little there, and it doesn't work. Jesus says, if you abide in my Word, you will know the truth. Abiding. There's an order here. And then he says, if you abide in my Word, you will know the truth. And then he says, the truth will set you free. Three things there that give us the pattern. And of course, when he says that the truth will set you free, uh, sometimes we, I mean, we live in a day, and not that it's any unusual, but it seems more so, that there is a, a quest to wonder, well, what is truth? We see something on social media posted. We see a, a, somebody gives a quote or somebody says, the government's going to do this or they're going to take away this or they're coming after this or whatever. And you wonder, is that true? Because we know in the past several years there's been an a, a infection in a lot of our social media from foreign governments that want to bring and, and draw confusion and that type of thing. Listen, there is fake news, all right? That's not a political thing. There is fake news. I mean, we've been hoodwinked into a lot of things, and so we just wonder, what is truth? What is the truth about this COVID thing? What's the truth about vaccines? Where, what's the truth about this? What's the truth about that? How do we know the truth? Well, we just need to be good at dis We need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the gift of discernment, right? But, but what we're talking about is to know the truth of Jesus. Jesus will never steer you down a phony, fake road. He is always reliable. His words are always true. You know, you can... Uh, I was reading, or not reading, but I've watched videos... Where people have, there's this tech, technology, back in the day when somebody, you know, somebody would say, well, that picture was Photoshopped. That means they could make me appear standing next to shaking hands with the president or something like that they could, and make it look real. I've done that. I've done that as, as uh, you know, as just teasing people, pictures of somebody and they're somewhere, whatever. And, and there, you know, if you're familiar with what Photoshop is, that you can do all that. But now there's a technology where they can take the a video of a person and they can, they can manip the computer can identify their voice and it looks as though, whatever it is, and I've seen this done with Tom Cruise, and, they, and you would think, you would bet your Buick that this is the real Tom Cruise talking about whatever he's talking about, and guess what? It's totally fake, totally fake. Now that's scary, isn't it? That's scary stuff, and now with artificial intelligence and all that type of stuff going on. But notice what Jesus says in this verse. He gives a name 
to people who abide in his word, who know the truth, and are people of freedom. What name does he give them? He says, they are truly my, what? Disciples. Disciple doesn't mean you know everything. You know what disciple means? It just means student. You're a learner. You know, I appreciate many of you that are ahead of me. You're, you're further up the mountain, as I was, I'll use that analogy. And guess what? You still want to know about God. You still want to read things about God. You still want to study. You still want to grow. A disciple is a student who is always learning. The rest of my life, I'm learning about Christ. And so this morning, as we focus on the remainder of chapter 8, the title of the message again is The Truth Will Set You Free. And remember in chapter 8, what we see going on here. We've been, uh, I think this is message number 19 or something like that in John. And we're, we're just clearing the deck of chapter 8. Because there's a lot here. But one thing that we see that's beginning to take place really back in chapter 6, 7 and on, and it gets more intense, is we see hostility and pushback regarding the ministry of Jesus. We now see... Remember early on, you see crowds and kind of a favorability, but now all of a sudden as Jesus is, is sharing the truth of God, sharing who God is, sharing uh, the truth uh, that God has sent him to bring, we now see that not everybody is so welcoming. Not everybody is so glad there is actually those that are pushing back and are out and out hostile uh, to Christ. And so... Uh, for example, in uh, verse uh, 33, um, it may not be on the screen yet, but it says uh, the, uses the word they. They answered him. He's in the middle of a dialogue with these Pharisees. Now, if you know, again, in the Scripture, there are several different religious sects that are in S-E-C-T-S, okay, in case you didn't hear me right, all right? There are different groups, all right? Um, Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, Zealots, Essenes. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are the ones we hear most about. The Pharisees were really, and sometimes you'll see Pharisees and scribes, they were the, uh, the, the most prominent uh, guardians of the law, and they were the ones that seemed to have the most conflict. The Sadducees, uh, they, were, they were a little bit more... Um, uh, they were, we might would say they were a little bit more liberal in their, some of their theology, but, and they were not opposed to, they were opposed to Pharisees. They thought they were too fundamentalist and too strict, but it's interesting how they came together when it came time to create bogus charges against Jesus and uh, put that kangaroo court together. And so these Pharisees are the ones that are pushing back. And you know, oftentimes, and I admit I do it, we're really hard on these Pharisees. We make it sound like, oh, if I was there, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have done that. But you know what? If we're honest, more and more, we're, we're really more like Pharisees than we want to admit. You know, because we think that we know everything there is to know. We think that my way is the best way. We, we, we kind of are, are very close to oftentimes these Pharisees who, who as Jesus is is coming into their world, as Jesus enters their world, as he's ministering the truth of God, guess what? It pushes back on everything that they hold dear and near and everything that they have trusted in. Listen, it's shaky when you have trusted in something your entire life 
and all of a sudden you are are discovering the gospel of Christ. You're discovering grace. You're discovering the purity of the message of, of the word of God. And all of a sudden it begins to undermine or knock out some of the pillars that you have built up in your life, some of the things that you've leaned into and trusted in, and you, you learn some of these things. Well, the Pharisees were no different. And so this morning, I want us to look at three barriers of freedom that I believe round out chapter 8. Three barriers, and I want to talk about the need, our own need, and maybe your need this morning. And you know what? It may not be the need today, but Maybe it'll be a need this week or next week. We're always, I mean, ultimately, we all need the breakthrough of the freedom that Jesus offers us in salvation. But there is a continual freedom that we experience as believers. So notice with me, number one, the first barrier is this, is that we have to admit that we are a prisoner. And Jesus lays that out in the verse 33. He says in verse 33, They, the they, is these religious folks, these Pharisees that are pushing back. He said, they said to him, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Well, you know what? That isn't exactly true because they need to to read their own history. I mean, the life of Israel is a story of constant enslavement. And it, I mean, just in a, in a geographical sense, in a political sense, I mean, in the book of Judges, the nation of Israel was enslaved by seven, seven different nations. And they, you know, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. In fact, even as these Pharisees are talking, guess what? They're enslaved by the Romans that are in control of that region of the world. And so maybe they kind of thought, well, spiritually, we've never been enslaved. But again, if you look at the history of Israel, they always had a bent and propensity to chase after the idols and religion of their neighbors. That was always a problem. It was a constant issue. They said, we're not enslaved by this. And you know what I found? And I found it. I don't have to look any further than me. You know, sometimes when we're enslaved with something... Could be a bad habit, could be just just a certain vice, something, or whatever it is. I'll let you fill in the blank. You know, we are great at denying that I have a problem. Now, many people, and you here today have, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people have been helped by AA. And what's the very first thing in AA that you need to do? Admit that you got a problem. Houston, we've got a problem, right? And if you don't, if you don't acknowledge that I'm a prisoner, there's something that has bound me, there is something that is twisted in my life, that if I don't address it and I just kind of keep living in this la-la land, well, I'm never going to experience the freedom that Jesus offers. In verse 34 of chapter 8, Jesus answered, truly, truly, King James says, verily, verily. Literally in the Greek, it's amen, amen. Whenever you see that, that's, that's a way that you should, re- I mean, you should pay attention to everything in Scripture. But when Jesus says, truly, truly, verily, verily, I mean, that's neon lights above the fold, flashing, bold type. In other words, take it to the bank. 
of what he's saying. It's something big. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, your version may say something a little different. It may say, say something like, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, and that's true. But the emphasis in the original, you know, the New Testament is written in the Greek, the ESV, and maybe another version, is really accurate because the weight of it, Jesus is saying everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, I understand that as, uh, and we're going to look at uh, Genesis 3 this week, that because of sin, all have sinned, Romans 3.23, and have fallen short of the glory of God, all right? I, and again, that, that's a truth. But he also says that the practice, the habitual continuation of sin is evidence that you don't have freedom, that you don't have the freedom that Jesus has offered. So there's a problem. Either there's a problem with you or there's a problem with Jesus. And I suspect the problem is with me. He says everyone who practices habitually, who says one thing, but yet their life is constantly bending in a certain direction is a slave to sin. And as I said, unless we come to grips and admit what Jesus, I think, is clearly saying here is that everyone is a prisoner of sin. Everyone is a slave, if you will, to sin. He says in verse 37, I mean, the Pharisees just, I mean, they struggled with this the way we do. They said in verse 37, Jesus said, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. I know that you're, because you're Jews, there's he talking about ethnically, their ethnic heritage, offspring of Abraham. But he says this, yet you claim to be offspring of Abraham, you claim to be in an alignment with the covenantal father Abraham, yet you seek to do what? You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, if you were truly in alignment, if you truly were calibrated to what Abraham did and please God, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. You wouldn't be undermining the work of God is what he's saying here. Remember Hebrews 11 tells us a little bit about Abraham, that he, he believed and pursued the promises of God. He pursued that city that God had promised him. Abraham, we say, is the, the, the father of faith. He's a faith man. In other words, you're not living in faith. You're not trusting in God because if you were, as we see where he's going with this, you would know who I am. You see, a person who claims to be a Christian, and we've gotten really, really loose in, in decades, that, we, that a person who makes claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, same, same thing, we're, we're of my father Abraham, I'm a follower of Jesus, and yet their life is so diametrically opposed to the very things that Jesus teaches. We say, well, you know, if you're born in America, you're a Christian. Oh, that's not true. I think it was 
An old saying of years gone by, David Duplessis said, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. They were making claims to be a child of God. And he says, you're right. You are ethnically a descendant, but you are spiritually disconnected from Abraham. Because if you were, if you were in alignment with, good, with covenant Abraham, you would understand and be receptive to what I'm saying. You see, the problem, what Jesus is getting at, is what he said back in chapter 3. Remember with Nick at night? Nicodemus came at night. Remember what Jesus said in John 3? We know this, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But there's other things that you need to read with that. Verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. We could say that the world might know the freedom... Through Christ, verse 18, now notice this, whoever believes in Jesus, whoever believes in Him, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. He's saying, what he's saying, reminding Nicodemus there in chapter 3, is there must be a spiritual conversion, regeneration. He would say to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Here's the deal. These religious folks, the guardians of the law, they were leaning up against the wrong wall. You know what? It's so tragic to be successful at the wrong things, isn't it? To go through your entire life and find out that you're leaning up against the wrong wall. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the way there in the end is death. Jesus said, verse 37, don't miss this, verse 37. He said, I know that you're ethnically the offspring of Abraham, and you seek to kill me. Why? Why are they so rabidly anti of the things of God. Here he says it. Because my word, what? Finds no place in you. And that's the way we are. We're so busy with other stuff. We can tell you, we can tell you detailed plot lines to a Netflix series. Right? We can tell you, listen, I don't live on, you know, I, I, I like entertainment and all that. But so many times the Lord will say, wow, you, you know, you, you, you're pushing out. You, don't, you need to make place. What is making place? Making place is giving God first place. Now, don't panic. Don't panic. But see, in Israel, the tithe, the tithe was what? The first part that represents the whole. He's saying that belongs to the Lord. So why? Because that determined, listen, you know, I've stole the story. I'd be at Wendy's or somewhere and my, my kids were little and be eating French fries. And I'd say, can dad have one of your fries? And they would like make a face. I'd take, what they don't know is I can take all, I can take those fries. I bought the fries. I own the fries. 
I could take them all and give them one, right? You think God needs your little tip? It's, it's a revelation. And some of, you, some of you are disconnected in this. I'm not trying to talk about giving, but it only Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your... All it does is it's determining what's a priority in your life. I believe also, even though we're not under the seventh day Sabbath, I believe there's a principle of a day of worship. And I believe we've certainly lost that in much of our culture. And again, I'm not talking about just some phony. I mean, as a kid, we didn't go to church that often. I mean, you know, a couple of times a year, Easter and Christmas, if that. But boy, my mom would never let me go and watch him go to a movie on Sunday. I mean, that seemed inconsistent, right? I can do anything I want, but somehow she had this religious view. My point is, I'm not talking about some phony religious view. I'm just saying, why did God say, one day you will set aside for me? Do you not think all the days belong to him? What is he saying? This determines your priority. See, and it all goes back, do we make place for the word in our life? Well, I do, as long as something more, something better doesn't come along. Something more interesting comes along. I'll, I'll, I'll feed a little crumb here and there. Jesus says, the reason you don't recognize who I am is because my word, and he wasn't talking about information. Listen, the Pharisees could quote, in order to be a Pharisee, they could quote verbatim the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, Psalms as a whole. It wasn't that they lacked data and information. He's saying that the word, what is he saying? What did he say in the beginning? You're not abiding. You're not holding on. You're not clinging for dear life to my word. It has no place in your life and that's the reason you're acting you know what that tells me to make room for the word of the lord in your life guess what guys you've got to take responsibility if you're depending on this 45 minutes on a sunday morning to be your diet that's not going to cut it if you think that just a little tidbit parents that and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but compared to the whole of what kids get, that what they get on in a Sunday morning worship time in children's church, if you think that's adequate, you are delusional. You've got to make room, make room in your life to prioritize the word of the Lord. And being here today demonstrates that this is a priority for your life. And I commend you for that, and that's important. Jesus says... You're, you're allowing all your, to these Pharisees, you're allowing all your preconceived ideas about God and who He is and all your systems to crowd out the truth. You know, my mother, because she worked in the medical field, sadly thought she knew as much as some doctors. And I've noticed that with some people that work in it because they think, because they're just around. They know, you know, they know stuff. And here's what I realize. My mom doesn't, she's not, she didn't go to medical school. She doesn't know all that she thinks she does. 
You know? Sometimes we do that. Well, I know better. Really? You know better? You know better than what the truth of what God's Word steers you and guides you in? The second thing we can learn from the struggle of these Pharisees, if the truth is going to truly set us free, is notice, secondly, another area of responsibility we need to take is secondly, admit that what we're doing isn't working. Admit that what you're doing isn't working. I think it was, I read it was attributed to Albert Einstein about the definition of insanity. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, I'm on my sixth marriage. Well, keep at it. I bet, I bet that one's going to hit sooner or later. You hear what I'm saying? We keep doing the same thing, the same patterns, and we expect things to be different. We need to admit that what I'm doing is not working. And why wasn't it working? Verse 39. Notice this little lengthy dialogue here, but let's, let's see. Let's pull it apart. The Pharisees answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, of course, what we've read, if Abraham was your father, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did. Their hope was because of their ethnicity and their connection. They were relying on Abraham, but guess what? It wasn't producing the spiritual life in their life. And Jesus is saying to them in this dialogue, look at the results, look at what is happening in your life. You claim to know God, but you're seeking to kill me. You're opposing the very works of God. And if what we're doing is not working, guess what? If the key doesn't work in the door, how many of you have spent minutes and know, I know this is the key. And you are going to make that key work in that door. And you'll sit there and you'll turn it. And you know, guess what? Maybe you need a new key. Maybe you need a new door. I don't know. But you need to find something different here. If what you're doing is not working, you don't need to just modify your mess. You need transformation. You need to find a new key. Look at verse 42. And Jesus said to them, If God... Notice the condition, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I'm here now. I came not of my own accord, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Boy, now verse 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. You see what he's saying? You claim, you claim to be of your father, Abraham, when in reality, you are doing the things that your father, your spiritual father, the devil, and that's why you're opposing me. And we learned something about the devil from the words of Jesus. It says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. 1 John 3.10 gives us an insight complementary to this from the New Living Translation. John, the same author of the Gospel of John, writes in 1 John 3.10, So now 
we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. You see, the heart issue, the transformation issue, the regeneration that a believer, a true follower of Abraham, a follower of Christ, will manifest a life whose heart, not perfect, but whose heart seeks to love God and love one another, love God's children. Go back to chapter 8, verse 45. Jesus says, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason you do not hear them is you are not of God. You know, Jesus, you realize that he really is not going to be voted Mr. Popularity, is he? And it's interesting that he says the truth will set you free. And I'm trying to remember if uh, who used this as a title. It says the truth will set you free, but it's going to make you miserable first. For some reason I want to say Jamie Buckingham. There's only probably four of you that even know who that is. But <laughs> the truth will set you free, but first it's going to make you miserable. Why? Because guess what? It pushes back on everything that you've been leaning into in your life, everything you've trusted into. That's the reason Jim and I, I'll, I'll tease Jim about transformation. <laughs> you know, because I, I, I say, you know, if you've been through transformation, you get through the first three or four or five because the truth, right, is going to make you miserable. And that's usually when people bail when they start to hear the truth of why they're in the mess they're in. Because it counters so much of what we've trusted for so long. If you're going to be free, that's where we need to start. Admit that what I've been doing isn't working. But the third area that we need to take responsibility in in this passage is we have to stop resisting. Stop resisting Jesus and start trusting. Start, stop resisting and start trusting. Jesus said in verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And the Jews, these religious enemies, answered him. Look at, what, look at, look at you know, it's, have you found this to be true? And just notice this as we read through this a little bit. Is that when you begin to share the truth of the word of God maybe with somebody... And you see where they're immediately shutting you down and they're rejecting. Then oftentimes what they'll resort to is kind of personal. They might make it sarcasm, an attack. or It becomes, why? Those are just defensive mechanisms because they're holding so dearly onto that which is destroying their life. Notice this. The Jews answered him and they immediately got into slander. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan? If you know anything about Jewish history, that was, that was bad in their view. You are a Samaritan and you have a demon. They later called him illegitimate. Verse 49, Jesus answered and says, I do not have a demon, 
but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one, capitalized O-N-E, God, who seeks it, and he is my judge, my Father, he's saying. Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And they flipped out, verse 52. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did all the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, you will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died, and the prophets died? Who do you think you are? Do you see? And you see this in Nicodemus chapter 3, woman at the well in chapter 4. You see this all. Jesus is speaking on one level, but because they lack the spiritual apparatus to understand, they immediately fall into slander and attack the truth of God. You see, a person who is not born again, a person who is not regenerated, a person who has not received the new life that is in Christ, the Bible says they cannot understand spiritual truths. There has to be a work of the Holy Spirit that precedes, and there's a mystery of how that all works, and there's 35 volumes that'll tell you every detail. You know, there's a mystery there. What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? It's like the wind. You know, it blows here, blows there. You can't always, you wanna, we want to package it and bottle it. Well, God does His work. You know, we don't have the apparatus to receive spiritually because the Bible doesn't use terms that we're hindered by sin, that we are handicapped by sin. The Bible uses words like we are dead in sin. We lack the spiritual receiver to receive the spiritual truths of God. That's the reason these guys, even though they had their theology degrees out the yin-yang, that's Greek, by the way. You know, I mean, they were, they were, I mean, they, they knew, they knew the Bible thoroughly. But all that didn't matter because they're, they want to kill this guy. They want to kill this guy. And a person who is, and if you're, if, if you struggle maybe it's because you've never been born again. Maybe you've never had the Spirit of God to breathe the new life of Christ in your life, to take your blindness and give you sight, to give you a new heart, to make your spirit alive to Him. You know, a person who's not born again trying to understand spiritual things is like trying to pick up AM with an FM. It's like trying to get on the internet with an Etsy sketch. That's more appropriate, isn't it? These guys could not follow what Jesus is saying. Paul would help us in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The New Living Translation says, But people who aren't spiritual can't, can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit means. I want you to see something real quick here. Go back to chapter 8, verse 54. 
Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, you say, He is our God. In other words, they're saying, we know God. Verse 55, but you have not known Him. I, Jesus says, know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His words. In that little dialogue, there's a word play, and I have this on your, um, on your listener's guide. In the Greek language, there's two different words in this same sentence, in this dialogue, even though you, it may be translated a little differently, for the word know, K-N-O-W. And it's used two different ways. The first time it's used, he's saying, Jesus is saying, you know God, you claim to know God, but you know Him intellectually. And the next time it's no, when Jesus said, but I know Him that's the word used that I know him relationally. And there's, there's, there's some of you that are like that. You know intellectually about God, but you, you don't have a relationship with him. You're just saying it's not a lack of information. It's a lack of transformation. That's the first little jolt of lightning. And then he gives them another jolt. This electrocutes them big time. Verse 56, Jesus said, you know, I just always kind of put myself in one of those disciples. You know, the disciples, they had kind of a growing process of understanding, and they didn't truly understand fully what, who Jesus was until after the filling of the Holy Spirit, right? And this whole time, they're probably just hiding because they're just like, Jesus, you don't know when to, bat, you don't know when to stop. I mean, you just keep going for the jugular every time. And look at this. If that didn't rile them up, here's another bolt of lightning. Verse 56, he says to them, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. I don't know how. By faith, God revealed it to him. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews, these Religious enemies said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Do you see they're not even? And Jesus said to them, here's another truly. Tr oh, this, this is like, this is, this is the nuclear button for them. Truly, truly. That means this is big. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now you may think, well, that's kind of sloppy grammar. I am. I am what? But see, they knew exactly. They knew exactly what he's saying. That he is saying, I am God. They understood Exodus 3, 13 through 14. Remember Moses at the burning bush? Then Moses said to God, God said, I want you to go set my people free. He says, have I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14 of Exodus 3, God said to Moses, I am who I am. You tell them the I am. I thought I'd put that on the screen, but I didn't. Exodus 3, 13 and 14. He says, the I am, capital I am. In theology, that's the tetragrammatron. 
tetragrammaton. That means tetra means four in Greek. Sometimes you'll see, um, because Hebrew doesn't have vowels, sometimes you'll be reading, you might see the name of Yahweh that we would spell out Y-A-W-E-H. I have to write it out, okay? Um, <laughs> but sometimes you'll see it without the vowels. Sometimes you'll see it Y-H-W-H. That's the tetragrammaton, the, the four-letter name of God. You see, they knew exactly what he was saying. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm not just a friend of God. I'm not just a son of God. I'm not just a messenger of God. I am not just a prophet of God. He is saying, by that word, he is saying, I am, I am Yahweh. Bart Ehrman, who is an unbelieving, quote-unquote, Christian theologian, who's departed from the faith, graduated at Moody, but he is so swung to such extremities, has written a whole book on saying that Jesus never claimed to be God. And the only way he does that is to undermine the authenticity of the New Testament documents and their dates and all that kind of malarkey that says, well, that's something the disciples did, you know, and they wanted to make Jesus God, so they perpetuated this false idea. Well, anyway, don't, don't waste your time. It's interesting, because if Jesus didn't make claim to be God, wow. Look at what these Pharisees, skip down to verse 58. Jesus said, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. What, what was their response in verse 59? So they picked up stones to throw at him. I mean, they went nuts. They were like, that's it. We don't care if the Romans kill us and create a riot. We can't take this any further. They picked up stones to do what? To kill Jesus. You say, a person without the Spirit of God in their life, it isn't just a disdain. It isn't just an indifference. The Bible pictures the unbeliever as having enmity against God. That the unbeliever has hatred. Hatred for God. Apart from the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. They were going to kill him right then and there. Now something before we close. Don't miss this. This is chapter 8. We've taken a couple weeks to go through chapter 8. Do you remember where chapter 8 started out? It ends with them wanting to pick up rocks, stones, and kill Jesus. Do you remember where chapter 8 started? It started with people wanting to pick up some stones and kill a woman that they, quote-unquote, caught in adultery. And it ends from certain people wanting to pick up stones and kill Jesus. There's a great lesson we want to leave with this morning. And it's this. We're always going to end up in one of two ways. We'll either, we will either be throwing stones at Jesus, resisting him. Or we'll be throwing ourselves at his feet, trusting him. That's, that's 
humanity and a few innocents. The sinful heart, the Bible says, is, is hatred for God. And see, hatred oftentimes gets masked by our own religious facade. Like some of those Hollywood westerns and TV shows, you know, that would show Ponderosa or the town or whatever. And if you went there in real life, what? They're just walls with a fake look on the outside. There's not, they're, just, they're just beams holding them up. It's a facade. That's what religious activity... And when I say religion, I'm meaning it this way, is those efforts to make ourselves right to God, to relieve guilt, to give ourselves a pacification, if you will, by our own merit, our own works. That's what I mean by religion. So this morning, I think there's a third way. You don't have to throw the stone But you can do this. Because I think in one sense, if I can kind of pull this out a little further, in one sense we all have a stone in our hand. Sometimes we want to throw the stone at blaming somebody else for our problems. And we spend a lot of time doing that. We may not want to throw it at Jesus, but we want to throw it at somebody around us. Because the reason I'm in this mess is because of this person. And we go through life bound. Talking about, what are we talking about? We're talking about a lack of freedom. We're talking about bound by anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, all that stuff. But instead we can, instead of casting the stone, if you will, we can look at the stone. Remember, Jesus made, made that rock. And it's a reminder that He is my rock. And that my trust and my confidence is in Him and Him alone. And any good, any righteousness, anything good in me that would be received by Him is by the sovereign grace of God and nothing more. All I bring to the table, all I bring is my sin and my unworthiness. This morning... Maybe you need the freedom... That Jesus offers. It isn't just, just getting more information. It isn't just reading this book. It's knowing Him. Not about Him. Not just facts about Him. But it's a relationship with Jesus. And notice again. The danger of a deceived individual. Who thinks they have a relationship with God. That in the end. When Jesus. When the work of God is right before them. Instead of receiving the work of God that he wants to do, what do they do? They want to kill it. They want to destroy it. And so many times, so many times, we've killed the very truth that God has brought in our lives. We've, we've, we've strangled hold the very thing that God has given to us to set us free in a situation. Take responsibility for what God has done, what God has provided in the gospel of Christ. Let's pray.